although I'm not sure why I give announcements. Not sure why I write the bulletin. Yesterday, I, I said to somebody, it's time for breakfast. I didn't know it was time for church for Ben's breakfast. What are you talking about? I've been announcing it for three weeks, and you've been here in every service. And Anyway, do I have your attention now? I want to thank the guys for the great breakfast yesterday and the time of fellowship around the table. COVID's over. We're going to pretend like it anyway. We haven't had an Easter choir for a couple of years because of COVID. But we're going to go back and pick up the cantata that we started to prepare back in 20. Um, I think we had two rehearsals and then we got shut down. Um, but if you'd like to be part of the Easter Choir, I've got some, um, some books and some uh, listening CDs and some practice CDs. Our first rehearsal will be two weeks from today um, and, uh, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and then we'll go from there. And uh, Izzy Worthy would be a great worship experience, several worship songs that we sing and a few other songs thrown in, a few old hymns. Uh, it'll something for everybody. And uh, looking forward to a great time on Easter Sunday morning, which is April the 6th, which is just around the corner. Christmas just was. Easter's almost here. Uh, another one I wanted to bring to your attention has to do with this insert right here. Um, I got a notice from Father's House just yesterday that they're bringing Bill Federer in to... Uh, for a two-night seminar, 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock on the 18th and the 19th. Um, I've heard him speak twice at Grace International Conferences, uh, historian. Uh, he, you, you need to go and hear what he has to say about the history of the United States and the history of governments he walked us through government from the beginning of time and showed the rise and fall of empires. And uh, this man, um, I mean, he stands up and without notes, talks for two, three hours. Uh, you, d I can't, you need to see, you need to hear this man as he, he speaks about what is going on in the culture right today, and why we need to be people of prayer more than ever before. I don't want to take all day for that, but I do. I want you to take note of those other um, inserts in there, opportunities to be blessed. Uh, but I do want to bring that one to your attention. Foundations are important. And just as important as the foundation is the soil upon which you put the foundation. Amen? I shared briefly last Sunday morning, I think, and at least in one of the services. I forget which service is which. Um, but um, this wing right over here to your right, the classrooms over here, um, I met with a man from, named Don from Terra Firma uh, a week ago. Uh, and according to his sophisticated measuring tool, from that 
slide or that folding door to the outside foundation it's down three inches all the way along the building from what it was when it was poured 60 years ago uh, so I guess that's not too bad three inches in 60 years um, he gave me a bid it came in this last week and they would put in 23 pilings type things from that corner of the building to that corner of the building and try to raise it up. They make no guarantee that when they try to raise it, things won't crack. And then they would come in and they would push some special foam underneath the concrete floor that's bent, and, and they would try to lift that up. Again, no guarantee that when they do that, that the concrete floor just doesn't pop up and shift anywhere. All of that for a mere $74,078.50. They were kind enough to knock off $6,500 off the top of that. So um, it was generous of them. If anybody has like $35,000 that you'd like to donate, we'll match that and do that. Otherwise, we might pray that it stops sinking. I don't know. The building, that part of the building, was built on clay and sand. As the traffic goes by and the building shakes, you ever notice the building shaking when big trucks go by here? Um, and it's just sinking a little deeper in the mud. It's with the thoughts of this building, with thoughts of First John still in my mind, for some reason, and different conversations that I've been a part of in the past 10 days in terms of churches and pastors and, and the health of churches. I want to talk about our foundation. I want to talk about our core values here at Faith Family. For those of you who've been around for a while, you know that I love to preach expository messages working through a book of the Bible. In the past year, we've been through 1 John, we went through Romans, before that, Hebrews, and it was so far, far back that I don't remember what the one was before that, and I didn't go back in my notes to look. But the next few weeks, I want to take more of an, a topical approach, and, and I'm going to grab some things from different portions of Scripture, and I want to talk about our core values, our foundation, even though this building might be built on shaky ground, we, the fellowship of believers, we who are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are built together on an unmovable, unshakable rock. We are built on Jesus Christ. We are built on Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is at the center of everything that we're about. That we may know him, that we may love him, that we may serve him, that we may share him with others so that they may love him and know, know, and know him and love him and serve him. One day Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Remember that conversation? And they responded, well, some say that you're Elijah reincarnated. Some say you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. But who do you say that I am? And Peter 
spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you remember that Jesus said to him, Peter, you're blessed. You're a blessed man because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. The father revealed that to you. And then Matthew 16, 18 says this, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, I know there's people that looked at that and they say, well, he built the church on Peter. And he's the rock. But as I read the rest of Scripture, going clear back to Moses' time when he smote the rock and water came out of the rock, the only way that that can be, in my opinion, interpreted correctly, is Peter on the confession that you just made, that I am the Christ, upon that rock, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build the church on that fact. God came, dwelt among us. If Jesus Christ is not the Son of the living God, then we might as well tear this building down and build uh, many storages. We could all get rich. It's all about Jesus. John, as we talked about him in 1 John, his gospel begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 said this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For those going through the notes or have your Bibles open if you're that quick, underline those words, grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus, the Son of God, the one and only not only is he the son of God, but he is God. They're one. He was. When time began, he was there. He had no beginning. He just was and he is. And he was with God in total unity with the Father. He is God. But he became flesh, became human. He did more than just take on the appearance of a man. He became human, entering our time and space through the womb of a virgin. That's important. That's foundational. The womb of the virgin named Mary. As a baby boy, grew to be a man for the express purpose of giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. We have seen his glory, the glory of the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, not one or the other. Not sometimes grace, sometimes truth. He was full of grace full of truth. You squeeze him, out comes grace and truth. The older I get, the more of life I experience, the more I agree with John Newton when he wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace that God would save a wretch like me. There's no other way to define God's amazing grace unless you want to call it radical grace or overwhelming grace, unbelievable grace, grace, unmerited favor, 
Grace, and I'll give you this definition in your notes. God giving us what we need and not what we deserve. God giving us what we need and not what we deserve. That's why it's amazing grace. That's why it's radical grace. The compassion that God expressed to us by sending Jesus to become one of us was not just some small token of his love. It was not just giving a small portion out of a great abundance. It was far greater than rolling down the window of his car as he passed by a homeless person with a cardboard sign and handing in the extra Big Mac that you got when you buy to get two for the price of one. Now, I'm not knocking that. But God's love went far beyond the, a happy meal. Our need, our need was far greater than a skinned knee or elbow when we fell on the concrete in front of the house. We needed something more than Bactine. Y'all remember Bactine, right? Solved everything. Bactine and a Band-Aid and a kiss on the alley by your mom, and everything was well. We needed much more than Bactine sprayed on our, our problem. What the grace of God has done for me and what it's done for so many of us here this morning and what he wants to do for each and every one of us, he wants to give us what we need, not what we deserve. He wants, Jesus has done it for many of us already. He opened up our spiritual chest, took out the old heart and replaced it with a brand new one. Ezekiel said this, Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's at the very core of the gospel story, the good news. And that story needs to be at the center of everything we do. The songs we sing, the lessons we teach, the sermons we preach. It's all about the gospel, the good news. Jesus came. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. Amen? Because he did come, and we have by faith embraced the gift of grace, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God in His grace has given to us a brand new heart. As people who have been changed by the power of this gospel, we have been commissioned to keep the story going. We have been commissioned to keep talking about the story until every person and every nation, every ethnic group, has heard the good news of God's Amazing grace. This morning I want to just found foundational stuff, but I want to talk about God's amazing grace, about the good news. But before I give you the good news, I got some bad news. And that's what makes the good news really good is when you know the bad news. The bad news is this number one, we're all sinners. We are all sinners. Every one of us. There's not a perfect one among us. 
There's not one in this room who's always done the right thing. There's not one here who's always thought the right thing. You mean I can sin by thinking wrong? Read the Sermon on the Mount. You say, I've never murdered anybody? Really? Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, in case you need to know where it's at. Number two, our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us. When you read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, their sin got them removed from the place where they walked and talked with God. God who's perfect, God who is holy, does not have fellowship with sin. Our imperfections separate us from God. Number three, sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Spiritually dead. Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin leaves us spiritually dead, spiritually disconnected from God. And that was true and is true of all of us. You may have been what people who knew you called a good person. If you measured your goodness factor on a scale of 1 to 10, maybe you're a good solid 7. So you only needed three parts of grace to be totally a righteous person. Maybe you were a 9 and you only needed one part of grace to make you perfect. That's not the message of the gospel. We're all sinners, all spiritually dead, separated from God, lost and without hope. Number four, bad news. No one can make themselves alive on their own. You're dead, and you cannot resurrect yourself. How many of you were able to choose to be born during this time of world history? You were able to determine that you would be alive in the, in the 21st century. How many of you got to choose your biological parents, your ethnic origin, your gender? Now, I know that there's a thing out there now in the culture that says you can choose your gender, but that's baloney. You had absolutely no part in those decisions. You are here today, in this time, this place, because of the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. When your parents performed that God-created biological act that led to the miracle of you being knit together in your mother's womb, and at that God-appointed time, you made your entrance into this world, and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. By the same token, because we are people born with a sinful nature, we are dead along the road of spiritual life. Roadkill. And we did not and do not have any ability to make ourselves alive unto God. You cannot do enough good deeds. You cannot think enough kind thoughts. You can't read any self-help book. 
to make yourself spiritually alive. It's totally an act of God's grace that gives to us the faith to believe in Jesus Christ and to be made alive, to be born again. We've talked about it several times in the study of 1 John. The bad news of the gospel is you're dead in those sins. You cannot resurrect yourself. You can't make yourself alive. You cannot generate your own spiritual life. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Thank God for His grace. Now, just for a minute or two, let's imagine. Let's imagine we blow out the back wall and we add another 10 feet that goes to the brick wall. I need to put a hole in the brick wall if you want. And what I want you to think about is that we're going to have a long jump contest. How many think that if you got to start from back there at the sidewalk, you could run across this platform and launch off this platform and make it to the front row? I don't see any youngsters who want to say they can do that. He's telling you the truth, too. Well, just in your, since we're imagining, let's just imagine it's a soft landing, Okay. Now how many think you could do it? Okay. Well, we, we might find somebody who could launch from here to get to the front row. Of, how about the fifth row? And we're probably looking at somebody who's an Olympic long jumper. Maybe we can even do a hop, skip, and jump off of here. Maybe we can get to the tenth row. Let's take it a step further. Is there anybody who can take off from here and land in Astoria? You say, now you've taken it to the ridiculous point. When I read the scripture, you have the very same chance of making yourself spiritually alive as a broad jumper has to take off from this platform and jump to Astoria. We cannot save ourselves because we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. The good news to counter the bad news is this. Since we can't leap to Astoria, Jesus Christ, an expression of amazing grace, leaped into our world right where we live in order to give us the gift of faith that we might experience this new birth through His redeeming and saving grace. We could not get to Him, so He came to us. So, for the time we have remaining this morning, this past week I was talking to somebody in the church and, and talked about how long I preached. She says, you don't preach long. I know preachers that preach three hours long. I'm not going to today. <laughs> I want to look at what Paul wrote to the Romans. And uh, we've been through Romans as a study, and you know, an incredible letter. And uh, the major portion 
of Romans is kind of like a legal brief, like a, somebody arguing their case before the courts. The first 11 chapters, Paul lays out for us our need of a Savior to bring us new life and how the Savior did it, how we can respond by when he calls our name. And we're going to look at a few things that Paul writes in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. First thing I want to point out to you about the gospel according to Paul when he wrote Romans is this. When we were at our very worst, Christ gave his very best. When we were at our very worst, Christ gave his very best. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, underline that word, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Powerless lets us know there's no amount of any kind of religion that's going to make us alive and enable us to become the children of God. There's no way to work your way up to God. There's no way of jumping from this platform to Astoria. You can't even make it to the back door. When we were powerless, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. We've all heard and read two stories of people who've done that very thing. There have been numerous soldiers put themselves in the line of fire to protect their comrade in arms. I shared with you just a few weeks ago that we had a man who was part of this church that he moved to battleground, and then they moved back and he came as long as he physically able, but Jim Helms went to Vietnam ended up being a paraplegic the rest of his life because he threw himself in front of a grenade that came to protect his squad leader, saved that man's life, and literally became a cripple the rest of his life. You do that for your comrades. But listen, God didn't send his son to die for comrades. Or good people. Verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, God does not want to live without us, and he does not want us to live without him. While we were still sinners, he came to where we are to die for our sins. When Christ died for us, what did it demonstrate? It demonstrated God's love. John 3, 16, for God so loved. I don't think we stop and think about that often enough. Those of us who've been in church for a few days, sometimes we become deaf to some of the most profound truths because we've heard them so often. But God so loved. The hymn writer said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. 
and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We sing amazing love. How can it be that you, my King, should die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. Lord, all I do, I want to honor you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. How many believe that Jesus died for you? You know what you just confessed? There was a time when you were ungodly. You are not believing in God as your source of life. He died for the ungodly. People who are godly don't need a Savior. Jesus, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, said, I didn't come to save those who've already been saved. I came to save the lost. Of course, he was talking to people, but he also said, you're whitewashed sepulchers, you're hypocrites. But we've all sinned, turned our own way. Isaiah told that. I think it's so very important for us to remember that truth. We were ungodly sinners. No matter how good you were, if you committed one sin against, you were guilty of them all. Our propensity is to, hey, I'm a good person, especially compared to that guy. <laughs> Do you know he has lots of hurts and habits and hangups? Do you know that he was an, a closet alcoholic? I don't want to point at anybody. Do you know that they're shooting drugs into their veins? I'm sure glad I'm not like those people. Watch out for those thoughts because they keep you from experiencing the truth. I'm a sinner saved by grace, God's grace. Verse 9 of chapter 5, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more? I underlined that in my notes. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How much more? How much more? We were sinners, dead sinners, because sin separates us, sin brings death. We are powerless to do anything. But Jesus and the power of his blood is greater than our sin. If you're new around here at Faith Family, I want to say it's great that you're here. And we're so glad you, that you want to be here and want to be part of what God's doing. But I will forewarn you, we talk about the blood of Jesus quite often here. Because we were all sinners who need forgiveness. Forgiveness that leads to spiritual rebirth. 
there has to be the application of the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because, and when that's applied, when we receive that, we are justified, we stand cleansed, we stand as saints now in the presence of God, being purified, our sins, though they were red like crimson, they're white as snow because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says this, we were God's enemies. We were God's enemies. Here's how it played out in most of our lives. God is over here. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. He's created us with and for a reason. There are good works that God created for each one of us to do. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us. God over here. We were over here. Created in the image of God. We come up with dreams and plans and wishes of our own. We plot courses of our day according to our wants, our wishes, with no regard to God and his will. That does not lead to intimacy with God. It leads to direct opposition. Thus Paul said, we become his enemies. We are opposed to him. We are moving contrary to him. But please note this. Though we were opposed to God, he was not hostile towards us. Though we were opposed to God, he was not hostile towards us. While we were doing our own thing, ignoring him, God was doing everything in his power to move towards us and to bring grace to us, to bring life and reconciliation to us. God became flesh and made his dwelling place among us, and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. While we were at our worst, Christ gave us his best. Number two, it's amazing grace because it opens the doorway for a brand new life with God the moment we trust Jesus. It's amazing grace because it opens the doorway for a brand new life with God the moment we trust in Jesus. The moment that I declare, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died on the cross for me and God raised you from the dead. Come into my heart and be my Lord. We enter into a brand new life. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. We were his enemies, but now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Without a doubt, one of the elements of our salvation is the promise of eternal life in the place called heaven. I'm looking forward to that. And if there is no heaven, if there's no life after this physical death, then salvation would not be needed. Right? Paul said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, we're the most miserable people on the planet because we've been duped. But 
Trusting Jesus has the hope of eternal life. And I do not want to take anything away from that. But faith in Jesus is more than eternal fire insurance. It's new life here and now. That life begins the moment I begin to trust in Jesus. In that moment, I'm fully forgiven. In that moment, I'm fully in Christ, and Christ is fully in me. In that moment, I have the right and the power to be called a child of God. You know what makes that amazing grace? There's no other religion in the world that I know of that offers you that kind of standing before their supposed gods. In every other religion that I've taken any time to read about, there's a series of steps that the worshiper must take in order to progress along a path. And if they stay on that path and push to the end, there may be some kind of acceptance at the end. There may be some kind of reward. In other religions in the world that men have created in their own minds, you don't know until you get to the end whether the doors of paradise are going to open for you or not. Now, let me make this clear. I'm not telling you there's any other way to heaven. I'm not telling you that any of those religions have any merit to them. What I want you to see is that man in his mind has a very difficult time wrapping his mind around this concept of the grace of God and being saved by grace and grace alone. There's something inside of us that says, if I work hard enough, if I clean myself up good enough, then maybe I will find favor in your eyes, God. We talked about it several times in our study of 1 John, 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. It's amazing grace because, let it, number three, we were dead, but Christ made us alive. We were dead, but Christ made us alive. Verse 12 says this in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Paul points out to the Romans and to us, because of the fall of Adam in the garden, we've all become victims of sin. We were all born sinners. Talked about it many times. You don't have to teach a baby to sin. How many of you taught your children how to say no? I guess you did by the fact you said to them, no, you can't do that. But all of my kids learned how to say no before they could say yes. And they would say it with great authority, which brought another authority to the seat of understanding. You didn't have to teach your children how to be selfish. put two two-year-olds in the same room. Yeah, you, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. Sin is part of our DNA. We were born separated from God because of Adam's fall, because of his sin. 
But Paul wants us to know that just as Adam and his actions affected humanity, the actions of righteous Jesus has the power to counteract the effects of sin and death upon the human race. Verse 17, if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more? I hope you're catching a theme here in this chapter. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life, reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so as the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Remember Jesus said in John 10, I've come that they might have life and life abundantly, life to the full. Are you alive this morning? That's the question. Not are you a good person? Are you 80% a good person, 90% a good person? The question is, from the gospel, are you alive in Jesus Christ? Do you know that he's given to you the gift of righteousness to reign in life here and now through Jesus Christ? It's amazing grace, number four, because wherever sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Back in verse 17, four words, abundant provision of grace. Abundant provision of grace. Do you realize God has enough grace for all of us? Abundant. The other day, Cap had thousands of eggs to give away. It got put on Facebook, and then they had cars lined up for blocks. Do you know that there were people who waited for a long time in that line, and when they got to the end of the line, sorry, they're all gone. We have never had a person come into this place or any other church or any other moment where they came before God because the Holy Spirit moved them to cry out, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And the Father responded, oh, didn't see you coming, dude. I don't have enough grace left in the storehouse. His grace is abundant and more than enough. More than enough. Verse 20 said this, the law was added so that trespass might increase. The law was added so that trespass might increase. Now, God gave Moses the big 10, wrote them in stone. And the fact is, God intends for us to live by those laws, by the way. But Paul knows this truth. What those laws really do is point out the fact you can't leap from here to Astoria. The law of God highlights the fact that in our flesh we are powerless to live righteously in the eyes of a holy God. In ourselves we do not stand a chance. That's what the law says. But, great word, 
But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this corner we have sin. I had God in that corner before. In this corner we have sin. It's brutal. It's powerful. It brings death. In this corner we have God. We have grace. God's grace manifested to us and through Jesus Christ. Verse 20 in King James said, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. Sin in this corner comes equipped with a 44 magnum. It makes a loud noise in a big hole. But on the other side is the grace of God. Superhero on steroids. Spider-Man, Iron Man, the Terminator, all rolled into one and more. Wherever sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's the way the Amplified Bible reads. Wherever grace or wherever um, sin abounds, grace superabounds. So what does that mean? Whatever you've done, there is grace for you in this moment. Whatever you've done, there's grace for you in this moment. There's nothing that you or I have done that can get you too far back in the line that when you get to the front, you hear the Lord say, I, I just wish you would have come a little earlier. Before lunch, we had enough grace to cover that sin and set you free, but you won't hear that. When you come to what Hebrews calls the throne of grace, where we find mercy and grace in the time of need, he has more than enough. More than enough. His grace superbounds. Not only is there enough grace to cover our sin, no matter what they may have been, in His grace, God includes you and me in the inner circle of what He's doing on earth right now. He includes you and me in the inner circle of what He's doing on earth right now. What kind of man was Paul? What was he before he became famous as the Apostle Paul. You first meet him as Saul of Tarsus, a very self-righteous Pharisee. What was his occupation? You know, an occupation is very important to people, especially a man. And in many ways, our occupation becomes our identity. David the king, Joseph the carpenter, meet Saul the persecutor. Now, we don't think Paul was married, nor did he have any children that we know about other than children of the Lord. But can you imagine that if he did have a son and that son went to school, Who's your father and what's he do? My father is Saul of Tarsus and he kills Christians. That's his intention. That's what it was. That's what he was doing with authority from the Jewish Sanhedrin and the priests in Jerusalem. Traveling through the land to arrest and get rid of people who said, I am a follower of that man named Jesus who they claim to be the Son of God. 
But one day, Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with Jesus Christ. One day he met grace and truth. And in that moment, a dead man was made alive. He became a new man. Instead of stomping out the church, he literally gave his life planting churches so that the kingdom of God would ever increase on the planet of earth until the day that Jesus comes back again. That man who was Saul the persecutor wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He did not write them because he lived such a perfect life of keeping God's law and listening to God's voice. It was just the opposite. Paul, it is because you were so bad before you met grace and truth that you get the privilege of sharing the gospel in such a way that it would be preserved for all time and eternity. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Remember Paul's final words to Timothy. This is a word, the same worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ saves sinners of whom I am chief. God said, Paul, I've chosen you because I want the world to know it is indeed amazing grace that will save their soul and grace alone. You remember when God said to that man, I want you to go down and pray for Saul of Tarsus. And he said, God, don't you know what he's doing? Yeah, I know, but I've called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles where sin abounds, grace superabounds. How about the gospel of Matthew? Do you know anything about Matthew? He was a tax collector. There are sinners, and then there's tax collectors. You read the gospel. Sinners and tax collectors. Lower than a sinner in the Jew's eyes. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, he was invited to be part of the 12 that Jesus would call the apostles to found the church. What about at the cross? Those who crucified him, those who mocked him, those who spat upon him, those who drove the nails into his hands. What was Jesus' words about them? Father, forgive them, but they don't know what to do. Grace and truth. We read earlier the words of the soldier when Jesus gave up the ghost. The professional executioner watching the grace and hearing truth proclaimed in those few sayings that we have recorded on the cross. His declaration, surely he was the son of God. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Simon Peter a promise breaker. Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. After being with him for three years and declaring, Jesus, I will die before I let anything happen to you. I've got your back. Yet three times he denied Jesus. But after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him. Grace and truth superbounded. Jesus laid on him the mantle of leadership that would make him a powerful force of grace and truth in the forming 
of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before the cross, going through Judea, Jesus went through the town of a tax collector who was vertically challenged. And because he was so short, Zacchaeus climbed up in the branches of a tree on the street overlooking, overlooking the street that Jesus was walking down. Jesus stopped under the tree, invited himself to the tax collector's home for lunch. That's the last person in the town that anyone would have picked for Jesus to talk to, let alone have lunch with. But that day, grace and truth brought salvation to the heart of Zacchaeus. During that lunch, that despised man somehow saw a glimpse of the grace of God that said, God loved him. Zacchaeus, you're important to God. And he saw that truth to such a degree that he said, if I've done anything wrong to anyone, I'm going to pay him back and I'll do it with interest. Where sin abounds, grace superbounds. There's a thief dying on the cross. And in his final moments, he found grace. Today, you will be with me in paradise. From the beginning of the book to the end, example after example, that whatever sin can do to us, grace can lift us up and do more. Grace can restore. Grace can bring life. Grace can bring glory to the name of Jesus. And now the note that you saw a moment ago. Whatever sin has done to me, God's grace can do more. Whatever sin has done to me, God's grace can do more. The truth about the people in the room this morning is this. None of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to, to stand in a place where songs of praise and worship are lifted to the Lord. We are all sinners, but we've been saved by the grace of God. And now he includes us in his church to be a force of grace and truth in the world of sin and darkness. Perhaps there's a tension of two, between two groups of people over what I've said thus far. There could be those who are thinking, is this really true? God has enough grace to come to me in the mess I've made in my life to this point in time, and by his grace offer me mercy and forgiveness and a place to start over. And the awesome, or the answer is a resounding yes. That's why you're here today. God called you here to make it clear. Your failures do not have to be fatal. Jesus is full of grace. On the other side of the tension is a group of people who have been walking in grace for a long, long time. And you're so afraid that I'm not going to include the big but at the end of this message. Yes, God is grace, but we cannot abuse that grace. We can't go, just go on sinning thinking that grace will take care of everything, and you're right. Paul addresses that in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? When we really understand that who we are and what we are, is by the grace of God. Our desire becomes to live in and by that grace. Our desire is to do what Paul told us to do, to walk worthy of that grace. 
to not be a grace abuser. Our desire becomes to please the one who did it all for us. The one who tells us by the Spirit living in us, I can address him as my Abba, Father. There is the but, and it's true. But I want to come back to this truth. No matter what you've done in terms of falling short of keeping God's law, no matter what kind of consequences you're reaping today because of life choices that you've made before, God's grace is enough to totally forgive you, to set you free from the chains of guilt and condemnation. His grace is enough to give you power over whatever your habit, your hurt, your hang-up might be. My prayer, the Holy Spirit has opened the eyes of your heart so that you can know that you can leave this place today declaring my chains are gone. I've been set free. Point of application, and we'll get to this more as we go on in this series of messages about our core values. Because Jesus gave me grace, I choose to be a person of grace. Freely you received, freely give. If you've been here very long, you know that I have a passion to teach the truth that we find in this book. I have a passion to be theologically correct, to rightly divide the Word of God. Just as much as I want to be people who know the truth, I want us to be known as people full of the grace of Jesus Christ. When people are at their worst, giving our very best along with Jesus, to see them transformed by the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. let's stand and sing in amazing grace. My chains are gone. We'll close in prayer in a few moments. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I was set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigned. Unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. 
His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has rest on me. And like the flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Father, we are so thankful this morning, so thankful for that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. So thankful that we can say I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We thank you for the hope that we have that when we've been there 10,000 years by shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Because of your grace, your abounding grace. Lord, my prayer is for those in the sound of my voice today that, that they hearing this message for that express purpose to receive that grace that you've dropped into their heart that gift of faith today faith that says Jesus I believe that you are the son of God I understand that I'm a sinner but you died on the cross for those sins and God raised you from the dead so that I can be forgiven so today I come to you humbly father and confess I need a Savior. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to forgive me of doing life my way. I want to commit my life to follow you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you that your word says whoever calls on the name of the Lord in that manner will be saved and in that moment become a new creature in Christ Jesus, given the power and the right to be called the child of God, the Holy Spirit living in their hearts. Thank you for regeneration thank you for life this morning and lord i pray for us who've been walking in the way and walking in this grace lord that once again we would be so amazed by it that we can't help but share it with those people you bring across our path who need to hear it paul asked how will they hear unless someone tells them how will they know unless they hear? For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Lord, help us to be a people of truth and faith, truth and grace, wherever we are. To be salt and light. To make a difference in this world in which we live. Because, Jesus, you're the answer. Jesus, you're the hope. The only hope. So as we go from this day, place today, help us understand we're going into the mission field full of grace and truth. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Have a very blessed day.
do have Bible study Wednesday morning, prayer meeting Wednesday night. Look forward to seeing you all there.